All right. How many of you just be, can you just be honest with me this morning? How many say, I'll be honest with you, pastor. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Okay. So raise your hand and say, pastor, I will be honest with you this morning. Everybody raise your hand. Okay. So now you have to answer this question. Be honest with me. It's nothing to be ashamed of. How many of you sleep with a nightlight? No, I'm just thinking, Ruth is honest. Actually, that's a smart thing to do because how many times you've stubbed your toe and you're like, man, I wish I could have seen that. How many of you, um, you sleep with some background noise, like a sound machine? Raise your hand. Okay, a lot. You, you, you know what I'm talking about. So it's, it's this white noise. So I've got, um, I've got some noises for you here. Dave, I'm going to turn this mic on, see if we can get some. Let me see what you guys do here. Let's see if this works. Okay. What's that? That's rain. Okay. Katie's back there going like it's waves. Okay, good try. Okay, what's this? Okay, that's a boat swaying in the water. That would irritate me. Okay, how many of you that you just want to kill yourself there for five minutes with that? Okay. The running shower. This is kind of my go-to right there. Okay. How about this one? The sprinkler. Okay. My sprinkler down. This is stream water flowing. That's not bad. How many of you that would make you go to the bathroom in like two minutes? Okay. Do a couple more. That's Kathleen snoring. No, it's a cat purring. Crickets. Frogs. It's an air conditioner. That's not bad. Okay, that would just... Okay. So, I, I, we... Actually, how I got hooked on the sound machine, I was on a missions trip, and uh, my good friend Ray took his... Uh, church with us. We're in Guatemala and I never used to sleep with one. Ray goes, do you mind if I have this sound machine that helps me sleep? So I'm like, yeah, sure, sure. Go ahead. So then I got hooked on it. So then now we absolutely, and Kathleen got hooked on it. So now we have this sound machine. It's supposed to help you sleep, right? So there's not this distractions of other noises, but how many know to wake you up, that's not going to work. You need something to wake you up, right? So Moses has the alarms, "Ah, ah, ah," and it just wakes you up. And I was, usually on Sundays, I wake up before my alarm goes off. And for some reason, I was just, you know, with the rain and it's just dark. I was just, man, I was sleeping good last night. And then all of a sudden, my alarm goes off "Ah, ah," and it wakes you up. It's a a wake up call. it, It is supposed to wake you up. And not not put you to sleep. And and we've been we've been chatting over the last couple of weeks and discussing Jesus's wake up call to the church. And and Jesus speaks to these seven churches in Asia Minor, and we read about those in Revelation chapter two and three. And and Jesus has these words for these churches. In fact, five of them he has some very sharp words, and two of them he just has words of commendation, things that they're doing well. And, and as I said over this series of, of our series in wake-up calls, we look at Jesus' words to the church. Um, I, I believe with, with, with all my heart that Jesus' words were just as re- relevant then as they are today. And, and I believe that for us, if we're not careful as a church and, and, and as individuals, we can, we can tend to 
maybe fall asleep in our walk with God at times, or we tend to go kind of through the motions, or uh, we can get familiar with things. And, and I think the danger is the longer that you walk with Christ, the greater the danger is to become familiar with the things of God. And we can end up taking the things that are sacred and we can make them common. And that, that was the issue that God really had with the children of Israel going through the wilderness and, and trying to lead them spirit, spiritually. They, 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 what, what got them into trouble is they began to take the sacred things of God, the holy things of God, and they began to make them common. And then their hearts began to drift away from their commitment to God. And I believe as, as, as followers of Christ, we can do the same thing. We can become familiar with coming to church or the songs we sing or uh, the, the Bible verses we read every day. And then, and then God stops really moving in our hearts. And we, we walk in this lackadaisical walk that, that's, not, that's not proactive, that's not exciting, that's not joyful, that God is not speaking to our hearts. And so... This church that we're going to look at today, Jesus had some pretty sharp words for this church. And actually, Jesus, most of the churches that Jesus even had some condemning words, he also had words of commendation. But for this church, Jesus didn't even really give any words of commendation for this church. This church really was blinded and they really didn't understand that they were actually dead in their spiritual walk when they thought that they were alive. And that's the danger of walking with the Lord for a long time, that we may think we're actually alive when actually we're dead inside spiritually. So I think this is easy for us. We can get comfortable, comfortable with wrong behavior or a wrong attitude. And we can live with this wrong behavior because either no one points it out or we refuse to listen. So what Jesus does is he points out this wrong behavior and where their spiritual lives are going. And, and what I love about Jesus' words here is that he always encourages them that they can come back, that they can repent, and that there's a way of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. So we're going to be looking at this church in Sardis. Let me show you the map here again. It's going to give you, there's modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor, and you can see where Sardis is there, uh, the Aegean Sea, the Mediterranean Sea, Macedonia is across the sea, and Greece, and you can kind of get a look at these seven churches that Jesus speaks to. These are literal churches that Jesus is speaking to at this time. And I believe that what Jesus says to these seven churches is what he wants to speak to us today. So I want us to, I want us to look into the words today. We're going to look at, we're going to start in Revelation chapter three today and what Jesus's words are to the church in Sardis. So if you got your Bibles, you can take those out. Bibles in the pew. If you don't have a Bible, those are a gift to you. You can keep those. But I want to specifically look at verses one through six. And so let's see what, let's see what Jesus says to the church in Sardis. He says to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. I know your reputation of being alive. The church had this reputation of actually being alive and being a lively church. But Jesus says, the reality is you are dead. He said, wake up, strengthen what remains, or it is about to die, for I have not, for, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come. I will come like a thief. 
and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They, they will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Can we have an amen for God's word? Amen. Okay, so let me, let me, let me give you some background of the church because this will help us to unpack um, Jesus' words here, and I believe it will give us a great understanding to what Jesus is saying to the church in, in, in Sardis. So let me give you just a picture here. Here's, here's Sardis today, just some of the ruins of Sardis that, that we see in modern-day Turkey. Um, Sardis was a, a large city, and it actually was a capital of their region of, of Lydia. Um, it, it was an important city for this reason. It was a city where it, it was, there was five roads that were actually connected uh, to the city, which made it a very strategic trading and military center. What also made Sardis very unique is that it sat on a, a, a plateau, which made it very difficult uh, to conquer. There was actually an acropolis that sat about 1,500 feet above the main roads. And so the city grew. And in fact, gold was found in them, Dar Hills, and people rushed there to find gold. And so it caused the city uh, to grow, and, um, and so it became very, very wealthy. They also manufactured these woolen garments, um, very beautiful garments. And this, this gives us a picture of what Jesus is saying about some in Sardis who didn't soil their Garment. So that, that would be a picture to the church there in Sardis when Jesus talks about not sewing your garments. They were known for their garments and manufacturing of garments. And Jesus tells them that there are some in the church who have not soiled their white garments who have remained faithful to me. And so at the time of Jesus' words, the city was actually a shadow of its former self. And this, this gives you a picture of the church. The church was a shadow of its former self. A church that was alive and thought it still was alive, but Jesus says that you're dead. And, I, and I'm going to give you reasons why Jesus said it was dead. What, what are the characteristics of a church who thinks it's alive, but is, is, is actually dead? See, they, they, were, they were one of the only churches that, that really received no commendation from Jesus. So Jesus What's interesting about this church is Jesus really didn't point out any doctrinal issues with the church or any false teachers that we've seen as we've studied some of the other churches. He didn't really point out any doctrinal issues or false teachers. Uh, Jesus didn't even point to persecution of the church, unlike some of the other churches in Asia Minor that Jesus speaks to. The problem was this. Here was the problem of the church, and here's the problem for us here today in the church's in, in 2018 that can happen what happened with this church is it got comfortable and content living with its past and what happens is how many know it's it's great to celebrate the past 
It's great to see where God has, has taken us to get to the point to where we are, whether it's with the church body here or in our own spiritual lives. But how many of you know we can't live in the past? If you live in the past, what you end up creating is a museum. That was a good amen spot. So I was just, I was waiting. I waited. Um, it's, it, it, what happens is we end up celebrating. This is what happened. This is what happened. Remember this. Remember this. How many of you know God is always wanting to do a new thing? God is always wanting to do a fresh thing, whether it's within the life of the church or it's in our individual lives. But if we get stuck in the past, we will not move forward. And God desires us to always be moving forward. Listen, the message of Jesus Christ never changes. But how many of us know that the methods we use to proclaim the gospel can always change? We can use different methods on, 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 on how to share the gospel in the context of our changing culture without changing the message. The message always remains the same, but we change. I, I, let me just get, when I first came to the church here at Living Word, um, we were using an overhead projector to show the worship songs. How many of you remember overhead projectors, right? So you'd put, the, you'd put the slide on there and then it would show, right? We're not using overhead projectors anymore. We have projectors that are overhead, that show on a wall, that we run a whole program. We run pro presenters. It's just, it, it, it changes, but has the message changed at all? No, same message. Were, were overhead projectors, you know, were, were overhead projectors bad? No. Were they the devil? No. They were great for that time. And we're able to see the words that we were singing. It's just gotten better and, and technical and all those other things. You know, we don't, maybe some of you do, but, you know, we don't pick up a phone anymore and, you know, dial the thing anymore. We all got our phones. I remember, I'm this old. I remember when someone said, you know what? Everything you need in your life is going to be on your phone. I'm like, yeah, Right. Really, every, you know, now, listen, we can't go anywhere with our phone. We got our emails on our phone. We can go on the internet on our phones, on our smartphones, which smartphones make me feel dumb. But we have, we have technology before this changed, but the message doesn't change. And so what's happening with this church is they were stuck, glorifying something that happened in their past that wasn't happening in the present. And so the church put too much emphasis in, in their past reputation and not and completely ignoring the fact that they were actually dying. And actually, there are two times in Sardis' history that they were actually captured. And because of the location of the city, it was very difficult to capture because of the elevation, and, and it was very difficult for armies to, to capture them. But the, the two times that they were ever captured is when the guards fell asleep. It's only two times in history is when they fell asleep guarding the city, and then the city was ransacked. Um, I, I remember I had an opportunity to travel, travel to England um, a couple times in the 1990s to do missions trips. And I remember we were in one town just north of London, and there's this huge cathedral, beautiful, beautiful church, huge stained glass. Architecture was just absolutely beautiful. And I asked our, the leader that we were working with, and I said, what church meets there? He goes, oh, the church, church hasn't met there for years. I said, really? I go, what is it now? He goes, it's a museum. And he goes, they open the doors on the weekends so people can come and look at the architecture. No church. Just looking at the past. 
See, at one time, that church was, was busy. People were in that church. People were worshiping the Lord. But now, it's just a museum that people can come to see of what God did in the, in the past. See, Jesus is speaking to this church that you're dying inside and you don't even realize it. And so he, here's where we need to be careful. Everything can look good on the outside, but it doesn't mean everything is living on the inside. And so what Jesus points out to them is this. Reality is different than reputation. Reality is different than reputation. Jesus was pointing out the reality of their true spiritual condition. Even though the church at Sardis thought it was alive, the reality was it was dead. So reality is different from reputation. So he says, you can, you can talk all you want, but the reality is you're dying inside. And this is where we need to be careful in our spiritual lives because we can easily go through the motions. We can go to church. We can serve in church. We can look and act like a Christian. But all the, all the while, we're, 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 we're dying inside. And this is where we need to be careful that we're not just going through um, the motions of our, our spiritual lives. We, we can do that in our marriages. We can do that in, in, our, in our spiritual lives where we, we just take things for, for granted and we're just kind of going through the motions. But all the while, that relationship is dying our spiritual life is, is dying. I, I asked my mom and dad if I could share this story, and they said I could. Um, my mom and dad are just two crazy young kids, and they got married at 18. They eloped. They went to Charleston, South Carolina, eloped because you didn't need blood tests then. I don't, I don't know if you needed blood tests at that time, early 60s, but they did. They got married, just crazy kids, right? And so um, I didn't grow up in a, in a Christian home. I mean, we went to church, but we just, it, it wasn't a church that really preached salvation. It just was the right thing to do. And so really, I wasn't, I didn't grow up understanding what it meant to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And it was a good family. You know, my parents are, are, are wonderful people, but, but something was amiss in their marriage. And their marriage began to get stagnant. And, and I kind of noticed it a little bit because I was younger at the time. And hearing the fights, and you could just see that they were uh, drifting apart a little bit. Well, somebody shared Jesus with my dad at Kodak. And so my dad came to Christ. Now, he's a brand new Christian, doesn't, you know, he's still going to a church that's not preaching the gospel. And so he's like, what do I do? And he's trying to grow. And thank God we had neighbors two doors down that were believers that really helped us and, and, and eventually brought our family to a church that did preach the gospel and helped, helped my parents in their spiritual walk. But their marriage came to a point where they had to do something about it. Their, their marriage was dying. And so what they did was uh, they went to a, a marriage encounter weekend. And that weekend transformed my parents' marriage. Um, what it did for my mom is on that weekend, my mom came to Christ. And she accepted Christ as her Lord and Savior. And it completely transformed their marriage when I was, I think, in seventh grade. And I saw it. I'm like, who are these people? They were nuts. They were like, you know, talking about Jesus all the time and reading their Bibles. And we started praying together as a family. I'm like, what is going on? Then we started going to church every Sunday. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't know if I like this, you know. And uh, But all of a sudden, God completely transformed the marriage. Something that was dead came to life. And it was because of Christ. My parents have been married 56 years. Now, listen, 
they, yeah, we can give the Lord a hand for that, right? Yeah, praise God. Listen, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. They, they probably got married for all the wrong reasons. And they probably could have ended it by just saying, you know what? We were so dumb how we did it and probably could have just up. But, but you know what? Jesus redeemed the thing that was broken. And that's what God does in our lives. He redeems the things that are broken and dead and, and makes them alive again. And, and I love the testimony of, of uh, my parents because they did something to change it. They did something to, to change it. And, and, and maybe you're here today. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your, maybe it's your walk with, with God. It's not there. You know it's not. You know it's dying. Maybe there's something in your relationship. Listen, I would encourage you to take those proactive steps to do something, invest in it. Whether it's a marriage life weekend, which I highly recommend. I have many couples in our church go to that, and it's, it's revolutionized their marriage. Whatever you need to do to take those proactive steps, to, to, to take a hard look at what's going on in your, in your spiritual life, to, to allow uh, God to change those things. And God can change them. Listen, you know, pastoring all the years that I've been pastoring, I've, I've seen God do tremendous things, not only in marriages, but individual lives. I, I love seeing changed lives. That's the miracle of what Christ can do in our lives. He takes dead things and make, makes them come alive. So what I want to do here, let me... Let me just give you four indicators of, of becoming spiritually dead. And th- this is kind of an inventory, kind of a, a way that we can look at our own lives and see, uh, is, there, is there something that's in there that is similar to maybe what's going on in my life that, that we can change or, or, or we can shine a spotlight on it so that we don't end up fooling ourselves to believe we're alive when really we're dead. And so let me just give you four indications. And then I believe this is what happened to the church in, in Sardis. How many of you know when, when you go to a doctor, you know, and they're going to do a physical on you, they're going to ch- do a checkup on you, they're going to do some tests, they're going to do some blood tests, um, they're going to tell you after those tests the things that are going to change. They're going to say, hey, your, your blood pressure is too high, um, you know, you, there's a sign that something may be going on, you've got to change your diet. These are signs of things that need to change. So here are spiritual things, spiritual signs of things that might need to change in our lives. The first one is your faith has become routine. So what do I mean by that? This is doing the bare minimum. This is just checking off the boxes. You know, I went to church today. I I, I read a Bible verse today. I do these things, but then they, they lose their meaning and we lose the vision behind it. Here's, here's the struggle that we can run into is that we can do these things and we can kind of go through the motions, but they're not moving us anymore. The things that used to move us aren't moving us anymore. We used to have this passion to read our word, but it's not moving us anymore. Church has kind of become like maybe fifth, five, six, seven, eight, nine, you know, on the list of things to do on the weekend. We've kind of lost our ambition, and these, and, and which means that our faith is now becoming routine. Here's the second thing. Here's a big thing is that your love for Jesus and others is cold. This is, this is when we lose sight of, of what our purpose is. And we forget that we're here to serve. Um, people now become a burden to you, less of an opportunity to share and show, uh, the love of Christ. And, And here's, 
Here's what I, I love about hearing people's stories because it always encourages me because I know in the life of the church, in our own life, we can become critical and we can get stagnant in our walk and we can run down a rabbit trail that really has no meaning and we can, we can lose our effectiveness for Jesus. I was, we have a membership class today and uh, we have applications that people fill out and, the, and we ask them a question like, what does Jesus mean to you and what's your walk with Jesus like? I'll tell you what, I was reading some of the applications. They were blowing my face off. I mean, the testimonies of what Christ did. Someone wrote, you know, I went through this very difficult thing in my life and I didn't know where to turn. And then I met someone who went to Living Word who invited me to church and I've been coming for a year now and God has been doing all this work in my heart, in my life and I just love Jesus and I can't wait to come to church and I can't wait to serve. My kids love coming to church. They love serving. They love coming to children's church. I'm like, come on, preach it. I'm gonna have her come up and start preaching on Sunday morning because that's, that's what it's about. It's about transformed lives. That gets me pumped up. That gets me pumped up is changed lives. That's why we exist. Listen, your neighbor is next door to you. Okay, so their grass may be a little bit high. Who cares? It's about the soul and we can lose focus so easily. That it's about people. Living word exists for people. Jesus died for people. God so loved the world that he gave his only son for who? For people. It's about people. Yes, people can be weird. People can do weird stuff. People can annoy us. People can irritate us. But you know what? Those are the people that Jesus died for. And once we lose our heart for people, our hearts will grow cold. I mean, think about it for a moment. When was the last time God just gripped your heart for your neighbor or a coworker or a family member and just broke your heart for them in prayer and supplication? See, the church is the only organization that exists for people who have not yet belonged. It's, it's not this exclusive club that you have to have the right handshake and the right door knock and the, the right status and the right background and enough money to join our little club. It's the only organization that exists for people who have not yet belonged. And when we understand that, it keeps our mind on the very people that Jesus died for. When we lose our love for people, guess what happens? We become judgmental and we become critical. That's what happens when we lose our love for people. We get judgmental. We get critical of people. Yes, I know the world. How many know the world's a mess? If the world wasn't a mess, Jesus would have never come and gave his life for the world. It is a mess. We are in a mess. Everybody say amen. It's messy. How many know people are messy? How many of you ever got in a relationship? You got deeper in that relationship and you're like, oh my God, this is deep. Right? What am I getting myself into? Right? That's what it's about. It's messy. You're messy. I'm messy. We're all messy. Jesus died not for perfect people, not for sanitized people. He died for messy people. Let's not lose our heart for people. What's the third one here? Your your openness for correction now stops. Here's another great indicator that my spiritual life has gone dormant. 
and, and here's, a great, here's a great way to know if, if you're not open to correction. Are you easily offended? Are you argumentative? That's a sign of spiritual coldness in your life. See, the reason why, if I'm not open to correction, if I'm not open to correction to God's word and maybe someone else that sees something in my life, maybe my, my spouse sees something in my life, if I'm not open for correction, if I'm immediately offended and I want to start an argument and I just want to tell them they're wrong and I just want to turn around and say, yeah, but you, but you five weeks ago, Remember when you did that, right? We want to turn around and never put the spotlight on our own heart. See, Jesus needs access to your heart. If my heart is hardened to correction, I will never, ever change. And I want you to understand that brokenness is a good thing. Because when God breaks us, he can use us. I love what A.W. Tozer says here. He's a pastor, died in the early 60s, but... Uh, some of you may have read his books. One of his most famous writings is The Pursuit of God. Great, great book. I would highly, highly, highly recommend you reading it. But just wonderful pastor. He says, it's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. What do I mean by that? Do I mean that God is just out to hurt us for the sake of hurting us? I think God breaks us so that he can mend us again and create something that he desires to create within us. There's going to be situations that happen in your life, things that you can't explain, things that, 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 that are beyond whatever happens in your life, and we can fight against it, and, but there's, there's a brokenness that can happen through those situations that are beyond our control that we can't control, and there, there becomes this dependency on God saying, God, I can't do it without you. I'm completely broken. That's an okay place to be because now God says, okay, now I'm going to use you. I remember when we, we lost our first child in 1995 and I can remember just going through the pain of that and I can remember just laying before the Lord, just broken, like, why God? And why are we going through this? And so many other things, but there's this brokenness. And I remember hearing this quote from A.W. Tozer and it just spoke to my heart. Because I believe it was through the brokenness of that time that God began to rebuild my spiritual life. I began to see things differently. My preaching changed. My compassion for people changed. And God used that situation for his purpose and for his glory. God did not want my heart to become hardened to him. He goes, Barton, I want to use you, but you, 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 you've got to allow yourself to be put on the potter's wheel. And allow me to shape you and allow me to mold you. And if you do that, I will do great things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take off all the sharp edges, all the bumps. I'm going to smooth those things out. But you've got to be willing to give yourself to me. It's a hard place to be when, you, when you're completely abandoned to the Lord. But has your openness for correction stopped? Are you a know-it-all? God says, I can't use know-it-alls. I can't, I can't use you. But when you're broken, I'm going to use you. I had a gentleman come in my office not too long ago, struggling with addictions, and he just loved Jesus. And he told me, he goes, Pastor, he goes, I, I, he goes I'm struggling. I need a church around me. I need other brothers praying for me. And 
what he said to me just, just really spoke to my heart. Here's a person struggling with addictions but loves Jesus and just wants to come out from the, uh, underneath that chain. He goes, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm one day sober. And this is what he said to me. I'll never forget it. He says, this is what I need in a church. I need a church that talks about Jesus. I need a church that preaches the gospel. I need Jesus. Here's a person who's struggling with addiction but convicted my heart. I go, how many times do I say, Jesus, I just need you. I need you. I need you. I need you. There was such a humility in in the posture of 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 this young man who just wanted Jesus. And man, when we prayed together, whoo, it was like a Holy Ghost bomb dropped in my office. It was just, I was like, I just stepped back and said, you keep praying. You're doing a lot better job than I am. There's this hunger for God and it's desperation. Do you see the difference? Brokenness gives you a hunger and a desperation to want to know God. His heart was very, very tender towards God. So if you pursue, if your pursuit for truth doesn't make your heart tender towards God, something's wrong. Don't ever forget, don't ever forget the grace that has saved you. That grace needs to be offered to those who so desperately need it. And the last thing here is, is your pursuit for worship in God's word, has it gone stale? Do, do you see reading God's word as a chore or obligation or something you have to do or, or something that you actually look forward to? How, how is your... And listen, I, I, I want to be careful because I don't want to bring guilt. I know sometimes that... You, you know, this will make some, maybe make us feel guilty, but I don't want to, I don't want to go there. So be, so I, I preface saying this by not wanting you to feel guilty or condemned, but, but let me ask you a question. How is your expression in worship? Are you just going through the motions to me personally? Now I'm a more emotional person, as you can tell, because I never cry, but I, I'm just, you know, I, I am more of an emotional person. But let me just say something. When God touches your heart, I can't be standing like this during worship. Thank you. You know, I don't know. There's something about lifting our hands to the Lord, an expression of worship, saying, God, you're doing this in my heart. I believe what you're saying. Is there, is God moving your heart, as, especially as we worship as a congregation? I don't know about you, but I just can't keep my hands in my pocket if that's the case. If God is moving your heart, there should be this expression of this deep move that God is doing something in your heart. And I'm not saying don't, we can fake that too, right? We can fake that too. So I'm not saying fake it, but what I'm saying is God doing something deeper. When you hear those words and we sing, I am free, I am free, I am free. Is there something within you saying, yeah, that's my life. There should be an expression of worship unto the Lord of what God is doing in your heart. And so I just want you to think about those four things. Has my faith become routine? Has my love for Jesus and others grown cold? Have, you know, have I hardened my heart to correction? Has my passion for God's word and worship, has it kind of gone stale? Yeah, I used to be real passionate about these things, but you know, it's just, it's kind of gone stale in my life. See the church in Sardis lost its passion for the city. 
They became more infatuated with their past and their so-called reputation than their passion for the city and for people. Most likely good people, but what happened is they lost their witness. No friction means no motion. What do I mean by that? When we're moving forward in God and, and doing things in the Lord, there is going to be friction. If things are just copacetic and going on the same and nothing's happening in my life, that's not necessarily a good thing. No friction means no motion. So here's the takeaway. What changes do I need to make in order to draw closer to Christ? Is there any one of those four things that God is just speaking in my heart that I would just implore of you to take that step forward and begin to seek the face of Christ and allow him to do something deeper in your heart and your life? Now, this is what I want to do before we, 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 we take communion. I want, to, I want to play this song for you. Um, this is when I first became a follower of Jesus Christ, there was one singer who impacted my life more than any others. His name was Keith Green. How many have ever heard of, of Keith Green? Okay, good. Many have heard of Keith Green. He died in 1982 in a small plane accident with two of his children. Keith, Keith Green started uh, a ministry called Last Days Ministries, and his wife um, continued to, to, to carry on the legacy of, of Keith Green. But boy, I'll tell you what. When I would listen to his songs as a young Christian, they would just completely rip me apart. And I love his music to this day. And Keith Green wrote this song called Asleep in the Light. And Keith Green's songs were to encourage the church not to lose focus of why we exist as a church. That we exist as a church to continually reach lost people who need to hear about Jesus Christ and what he's done for them. And so his songs were very powerful, very anointed. They, were, they would just grip your heart. And, and I remember when I was, I was a youth pastor, I got, my, I got my youth group hooked on Keith Green. They're like, man, we love Keith Green too. And I'm like, good, let's keep the legacy going because they're just great songs of getting us out of the staleness of our Christian walk and reminding us again why we exist. Listen, when your heart changes and God grabs your heart and you begin to have a passion for people again, guess what? You're going to look forward to going to work again because it's going to be a new day, a new opportunity. We're like, okay, God, you can use me. You can use me. You can use me. There's somebody that needs to know about you. God, open up those doors of opportunities that I can just be loving and sharing with people and praying for people and let them know I'm praying for them. If they need anything, I'm there for them. All these opportunities that God can give you now, instead of looking like, you know, you're Fred Flintstone going back to the rock quarry and Mr. Slate's over your head, you can say, man, I get to go to the rock quarry today. Mr. Slate needs to know Jesus, right? It can change your whole attitude when you get a correct perspective of what Jesus has done for us. So I'm, I'm going to play, play this song for you. I just want you to look at the words and just, and just let, let the Lord uh, touch your heart as you hear these words from, from Keith Green. Father God, as we just bow our hearts before you and as we just prepare our hearts to take communion today, Lord, I just pray that we would get a fresh vision again today. For those of us who just lost our way a little bit, 
Lord, I thank you that you're always calling us back, that there's forgiveness in your sight. Forgive us, Lord, when we have harsh words for the world and we're not doing anything to reach them. Lord, I just pray for our church that you would just burden our heart. Lord, that you would just burden our heart for our community, for those who have not come to know you. I thank you, Lord, that you've equipped us. You've given us everything we need to do that, God. So, Lord, just reignite the fire in our hearts again. And I thank you, Jesus, for being patient with us, for loving us, for changing us. But, Lord, may it not stop with us. May you now use us to share what you did in our hearts and lives, to share that with those around us. So I thank you, Lord, for your love today. And as we just take communion today, Lord, I just pray that you would just Bind us together, Lord, as a church with a single vision to reach those who have not known you yet, God. We just love you and we thank you. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen.